I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on daily life, so together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, happy Michaelmas to you today. Today is the Feast of the Archangels, Saints Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. Used to just be the Feast of St. Michael the Archangel, and thus the title Michaelmas. I first came to know about the, the, the term Michaelmas and the Feast Michaelmas from, uh, from Haley Stewart, who's been here on the show before. Uh, she has a blog, Carrots for Michaelmas, carrotsformichaelmas.com. And uh, the, the subtitle there is Cultivating a Catholic Family Through Literature, Liturgical Living, and Urban Homesteading. It's a great blog that my wife and I follow pretty, pretty closely because there's some great ideas for living out the faith practically in your home. She's got a brand new book uh, called The Grace of Enough, Pursuing Less and Living More in a Throwaway Culture. I, I just got my copy and I plan on uh, reading it here in the very near future and hopefully bringing you an interview about that. But that's not what we're talking about today. I just It's the Feast of Michaelmas. It jogged my memory, and I wanted to share that with you. Uh, but when I think of the archangels, I think of this sense of drama. The archangels are only mentioned by name a, a few times in Scripture. Uh, Gabriel, the archangel, is only mentioned four times in all of Scripture, twice in Daniel uh, and twice in Luke. And in Luke, of course, we have uh, the an announcement of the birth of John the Baptist, and the announcement of the incarnation of Jesus Christ coming from the mouth of Gabriel. Then we, St. Michael's only mentioned five times, and a couple of those are pretty cryptic there in the book of Daniel as well, uh, in, in this kind of uh, prophetic way, talking about uh, St. Michael as the prince, uh, and that he is doing battle, spiritual warfare, on behalf of Daniel. And then we have uh, St. Raphael, the archangel, who only shows up, even though he shows up quite a bit, in the book of Tobit. And so here we have these archangels uh, who are coming to minister to God's people and perform specific functions for God. They're always in this sense of, uh, of contending and of, of you know, something important in salvation history, this, this dramatic thing. And I'm particularly drawn to this passage about St. Michael the Archangel out of Daniel 10 because it shows us something very specific about this cosmic drama that's going on here. Uh, Daniel has a specific thing that he is asking of the Lord, and he, he fasts for 21 days. And at the end of that fast, an angel appears to him and says, from the very first day that you humbled yourself, I have been attempting to come to you, but I was prevented by, he says, by the prince of Persia. Now, of course, if an angel is coming, no physical being is going to be able to restrain him. So we think of this, uh, this prince of Persia as being a spiritual being. And he says, um, I, was, I was prevented from coming, but Michael, the prince, came to my assistance. And so here we have St. Michael joining in this drama. And what's amazing about this specific passage is the, how mundane it must have felt how unproductive it must have felt for Daniel to be fasting in this very specific and profound way um, and to have nothing really happening for him. He's sitting there with the humdrum of life and, and the, the monotony of life and feeling as though his prayers are getting nowhere. And yet... In the midst of those prayers, in the midst of that, that uh, mundane living, 
something incredibly dramatic was taking place in the heavenly realms. Uh, the, the angels and the demons were contending for this message to be able to come to Daniel. How often do you and I feel like our prayers aren't accomplishing anything? Do we persist like Daniel did? Do we continue in that prayer uh, and continue to wait on the Lord to bring us an answer? Because as we do, the angels are contending on our behalf. As we do, uh, those prayers are accomplishing something, even though we may not perceive it. I feel like we give up a little bit too easily. We give up on our prayers or we give up on our uh, on our plans because we don't see any fruit. We don't see any progress. And yet we're called to persist in prayer, to, prayer, to pray without ceasing, to pray at all times. We're called to participate in the spiritual and the corporal acts of mercy, even when we don't see any fruit from it. We're called to make manifest, to display the merciful love of our God, and to trust in it even when we don't see the fruit. Today we're going to be talking with Sister Margaret Gibbons. She's a sister of St. Francis of the Martyr at St. George, uh, and she is a teacher at St. Catherine's School in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She and her sisters have been nominated for the Lumen Christi Award from Catholic Extension uh, because of the work that they're doing work that may seem mundane, work that, uh, that may not see a lot of fruit from one day to the next, and yet they persist. They persist because they know that the work that they're doing is going to have eternal consequences. And these sisters, uh, as they do their work, they, they stand as joyful witness to you and I that there is, uh, it is worth persisting in doing the things that may not seem to be bearing a lot of fruit. It's worth persisting in prayer. It's worth persisting in investing in those who are around us for the sake of God's kingdom. It's worth it because all of these things around us that look drab and mundane and and just monotonous to you and I, we know that underneath them lies a divine drama where God is drawing all people to himself. God is going out through the prayers that we pray and through the actions we take. And he's going out to reconcile the whole world to himself. And our prayers and our actions are an integral part of this divine drama. Can you imagine for a moment uh, what would have happened with that whole scenario in the, in the book of Daniel chapter 10 if Daniel had prayed for five days instead of for that full time, praying uh, and persisting in prayer for those 21 days? What would happen if we kept going with our devotions and with our spiritual and corporal works of mercy, even when we didn't see the fruit? What would happen? I suspect something pretty dramatic. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this with our conversation with Sister Margaret Gibbons of the Sisters of St. Francis of the Martyr St. George. It's going to be a great conversation. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Don't go anywhere. There is much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. 
And today we're talking with Sister Margaret Gibbons of the the Sisters of St. Francis of the Martyr St. George, which is just one of the most uh, fantastic names to say. And I'm going to have a, a fun time saying that throughout the course of this episode. Uh, Sister Margaret, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you. So I, I've heard a lot of people talk about the the joy of of having sisters around to be able to, to see them in their, in their habits and to see them in the midst of the community and just standing as kind of a public witness to, uh, to religious life and specifically the, the joy that they exude and express. And when I, when I hear people talk about that, I've got a few people in mind, a few orders in mind that, that I think of, um, of course, my, my daughter's godmother is a daughter of St. Paul, and I have some other sisters that I'm, I'm very fond of. But when I think of just that public witness and, and the joyful witness and the joyful faces, I immediately think of the Tulsa sisters of St. Francis of the Martyr of St. George. Because when I was there working at the diocese, anytime there was a, a major event, a catechetical conference or a pro-life event or something at the, uh, the cathedral, there the three of you were in all of your splendor. And it just, I'm so pleased to be able to to have this conversation with you today. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. It's a wonderful opportunity. We, we appreciate it. It's a blessing to be, be, be at Tulsa. We love the Diocese of Tulsa. So now, really, you've been teaching, pretty amazing diocese. You've been teaching there in uh, at St. Catherine's in Tulsa. For uh, for nine years, this this most recently. But when you first started teaching, um, you said twenty three years ago. Your first two years were also in Tulsa, so you've kind of come yes. full circle. Yes. What was that? So you've it, come you've come sorry. full circle. I come full circle. That's right. Yes. Yes, I did. Yep, because it's my second time. Uh, we find a lot of our sisters come come to Tulsa, like even as novices, um, they have an opportunity to come and have an experience here and then many of the sisters end up coming back again. So yeah, it's really, um, so talk great. to, talk to me a little bit uh, about what the, uh, what the charism of the, the sisters of St. Francis of the martyr St. George is and what first drew you into, uh, into this specific order. Okay. Um, so our, the charism of our community is to make the merciful love of Christ visible. Our community has, um, a particular devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus and our spirituality is looking upon him whom they have pierced. So that, that involves, you know, that, that looking on Christ and, and the love that he has for us. And as we receive that love, sharing that love with, with others and in whatever it is that we do. And for me, um, I was, I was certainly very drawn to that when I um, first was realizing that I was called to be a sister and when I was in college is where I first met our sisters. I went to Franciscan University of Steubenville in Ohio, and our sisters uh, both taught, taught and teach there and our students there. So um, when I met the sisters, when I realized God was calling me to be a sister, and um, I was very drawn to the, the joy of the sisters and um, the spirituality of the sisters and the Franciscan spirit, because I always um, was drawn to St. Francis so that is a part of that as well. And, and also his love, St. Francis's love for the cross and, um, and the sacred heart of Jesus and his love for the church. So that was what I was very drawn to when I was, um, discerning where God was calling me to with my life as a sister. Yeah. 
Now, the, the reason for our conversation today is um, you have recently, along with your sisters, been, uh, been nominated for the Lumen Christi Award, which comes from the, um, the Catholic Extension Society. Uh, and it, you are, basically, they exist to, to help support uh, financially, raise money for and to support financially missionary dioceses, which is a, a Catholic diocese underneath a certain population per capita Catholic uh, and so yeah. you've been nominated for this award for the work that you're doing at St. Catherine School. So tell us a little bit about what that work is uh, and what the Lumen Christi would mean for you. Okay. Well, we certainly were very um, honored when we heard that we um, were nominated for this award. And we really feel that the mission of St. Catherine School is very, very close to our hearts, both you know personally, each of us, as well as to our community in terms of just um, our, our founder, uh, uh, Sister Mother San- Mother Anselma, we were founded in Germany. And when she first began our community, um, there she began with very little. And she her ministry was basically to um, to the poor and to children in, in education. And so we feel very much that here at St. Catherine, our opportunity to work in a school where, you know, many of the children... Um, have a lot of a lot of needs. Our, our, we have a small school, very very close um, family environment, very um, loving environment, and because of the small classes, the children are able to really um, have their needs met in a particular way. Many of them come from their immigrant families, and many of them come from maybe a poor poor low income, um, and a lot of them have like various you know needs. Um, that maybe couldn't be met in other schools. And so uh, St. Catherine has a particular uh, mission to to meet those needs. And we find, you know, teaching at St. Catherine gives us that opportunity really to carry out the charism and the spirituality of our community and of our founders, spirit of our founders, Mother and Selma. And um, so the Lumen Christi Award really um, is an opportunity, I think, you know, for for us to um, continue, help to continue that mission of St. Catherine. And they, um, the Extension Society, you know, offers an opportunity for some financial assistance through this award that, that really can help our, our school in many ways because we, we don't have a lot of money and a lot of resources. And so we're, we're grateful for that opportunity to, um, you know, have that, the, um, you know, that the money that they offer to, to help our, our mission right. at St. Catherine. Now, uh, we're talking again with Sister Margaret Gibbons of the F- Sisters of Fr- St. Francis of the Martyr St. George, uh, who teaches in uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma at St. Catherine School. And you, you're talking about the, the nature and the, the type of education that you do, uh, the type of community that you're in. And it, and it feels very Franciscan uh, because St. Francis himself uh, gave up all that he had um, gave up the the privilege that he had from his from his upbringing, in order to go out and to experience Christ uh, in the poor as the poor, uh, as he didn't just um, uh, you know condescend to them, but he actually entered into that poverty as well to walk alongside them and to to show yeah. them the the glory that that comes through Christ. That's right. Yes, that's that's true. Ed. It really that's certainly. Um, something that that we are blessed to be able to um, carry that carry that on as well that that mission of Saint Francis 
in, in our school and in our various um, ministries that our community um, is able to do throughout the country. So, Do you find that, that the children that you teach are able to maybe identify with you a little bit more closely because of your vows to the evangelical councils of, of uh, poverty, chastity, and obedience? Yes. You know, it's really, I would say because, because our sisters have been in the school for so many years, um, our, our students are very familiar with sisters and we're in habit and, and our sisters in particular. And um, they really, I think it, to them, it, it's kind of a normal thing, you know, it's just an everyday thing. And they, it's, it's really beautiful for them to have the opportunity to um, see us, um, you know, as, as sisters living out our life for God and um, for the church and also kind of the day-to-day to seeing us, you know, having fun. And sometimes we'll play outside with the kids and, you know, just some, some of them have actually had an opportunity to come to our convent and, and do a little bit of service, helping break leaves in the yard. And they prayed in our um, chapel and they... Um, so we, we try to be a part of their lives in, in different ways, you know, and so we see them on Sundays at Mass, are always excited, you know, when they see us um, at church on Sunday. And uh, so it, it's, it, it is, it's, it's really, um, I think, you know, a blessing to be, to be able to be a part of their lives. And, and they, they kind of, in a way, take that for granted because they're so used to seeing us. And um, I think it's not very common in schools anymore, not as common to have sisters in the school. So um, at St. Catherine, you know, we always, for all these years, have had at least two two or more sisters in the school, so teaching in the school full-time. Mm-hmm. And so that's... Do you find that um, there's any sense of, of rivalry or jealousy when when a, a, a certain grade gets to have a teacher as a sister as their teacher and the other ones are, are left out? Do they, is there any kind of... Um, <laughs> any kind of rivalry in the hallways because you get sister and I Um, don't? Well, I don't know. I guess because it's kind of interesting the way it's worked out. Like for myself, I teach middle school. So I have the fifth through eighth graders. And so they all have me at some point. And um, many of them had me as a fourth grade teacher because I taught fourth grade um, before I taught middle school. And the way that our sisters have rotated in the different grades, it seems like some of the classes end up have ended up having sisters almost every year. The current fifth grade, no, the current sixth grade class had a sister for first grade, second grade, fourth grade, no, first, second, third grade, and then now fifth and sixth grade. So they, um, so I guess in a way it kind of hasn't, hasn't shown up so much just because of the rotation in and out of the sisters in the different grades and the way that the students move through. So, um, but yeah, sometimes they, you know, like if they're disappointed if they're anticipating, like, like when I moved for, from fourth grade to middle school, some of them were, were planning on having me for fourth grade. So they were disappointed that I was like, Oh, I'll have you in fifth grade. You'll be, you know, see you next year. So they, um, they were excited about that. So. <laughs> And of course, the, as luck would have it, that's the year that they've waited for you. They come to fifth grade and then you've moved back like to third grade and there's, oh. <laughs> right. Yeah. It happens sometimes. <laughs> so you, you mentioned that the order started in, in Germany and that the order has yeah. now been in Tulsa uh, for, for 33 years. Um, where, yeah. where are the various uh, houses located for, for this order? We have houses in um, Illinois. We're, our mother house, our provincial house, is in Alton, Illinois, near St. Louis. And um, so, so we're our main, that's where our 
our main location is. And then we also have sister teaching in Champaign, Illinois, a little further north, and Peoria, Illinois. And, well, not teaching it. We're in a um, hospital there. And Rock Island, Illinois, we teach there. So there's three houses in Illinois. No, four. Four houses in Illinois. We have a nursing home in Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri. Um, it's the Mother of Good Counsel home. So our sisters are located there, as well as in a school um, in West St. Louis, Wildwood. We have sisters, We have a house of a house of formation for young women um, in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And our sisters teach, and um, our students at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. So we have a house there. We also have sisters in Kansas. Um, we've done various ministries there. Currently, there's sister teaching in the high school. Well, one sister teaching in the high school, and then um, working in a grade school, grade school. And we have sisters teaching in both an elementary, middle, and high school in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And so we have um, several different houses in those. Mostly, I guess, in the Midwest, and then of course here in Tulsa. So. We're talking today with Sister Margaret Gibbons, uh, the Sisters of St. Francis of the Martyr, St. George. They've been uh, nominated for a Lumen Christi Award from Catholic Extension. Uh, We're going to continue this conversation with Sister Margaret right after this break. Find out more information about the Sisters of St. Francis of the Martyr, St. George at altenfranciscans.org. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and today we're talking with Sister Margaret, um, Sister Margaret Gibbons of the Sisters of St. Francis of the Martyr St. George, and that's quite a mouthful. <laughs> yes. So before we get into any of the rest, where did the, where did the title of the order come from? Okay. Well, our, our community was founded in 1869 in a small village in Germany, Tuna, Germany. And um, the sisters who originally um, began there, they came over from Strasbourg, France. And when they began, they wanted to start the new order. They broke off from their community just because of the location and it was difficult to communicate back and forth. And they felt called to, to be where they were there in Germany and, and saw the need. So when they wanted to start the order, they asked if they requested the name Sisters of St. Francis of the Sacred Heart, but there was already community with that name, and so they weren't able to to take that name. And so the priest, who was also a co-founder of, of the order, um, who helped to found our community, he said, well, why don't you take the name of the church where you all first came, which was actually his church. He was the pastor of that church, and that church happened to have been St. George Church. And so um, that's how we ended up getting the name um, St. George as a part of, of, our, of our community's name. So the Sisters of St. Francis of the Martyr St. George. Oh. So a lot of, it's kind of funny because we have all kinds of, I guess, shortened versions of that. Um, there, there's a lot of people around who, who will refer to us as the Martyr. <laughs> so it's kind of the same, this whole title, because it is a mouthful. But right. that's, how, um, that's how we ended up uh, with that name. With, and with St. George as a part of, of our community's name. So. Well, and with that nickname, you said sometimes they just call you the martyrs, and martyr means witness, right? 
uh, and yes. that's yes. your charism to make the merciful right. love of Christ visible, um, which I think it's really appropriate that y'all have been nominated for the Lumen Christi because, of course, Lumen Christi means the light of Christ, and that's what you do every day is work to bring the light of Christ to the people who you serve. Yes. So let's it's talk— Let's talk just a little bit about um, how you go about doing that, because the charism is to make the merciful love of Christ visible. But the ways in which you do that, the various apostolates you serve, uh, are are different. Uh, you you go about right. bringing that uh, that visible love of Christ in different ways. So, what does that look like for your order? Well, for our community, um, really, we are. Going back to St. Francis and Franciscan, he had a, a, certainly a love for the Church and a love for priests. And um, so when when our foundress, Mother Anselma, first began our community, although she was doing a lot of um, teaching, you know, work with young people in education and working with the poor, she felt that it was important to focus on just whatever the needs were. And so she, she said, you know, like, go with the signs at the time. And so... Um, our community is very open to whatever, you know, is, is needed in, in the church, um, whatever ministry, whatever um, might be needed. And so, therefore, we are, yes, teachers, but we also work in um, hospitals. We do nursing and um, administrative work, pastoral care, and um, many of our sisters um, do domestic work and working. We take care of priests, like um, retired priests. We have a few priests retirement homes that we that we work in and that um so we're able to you know help help priests in, in their homes and um so so a variety of, of ministries and apostates and works that we do that we um are able to you know bring bring Christ's merciful love in whatever way we can through those through those various ministries. Again, we're talking with Sister Margaret Gibbons of the Sisters of St. Francis of the Martyr St. George and you mentioned, as you were talking about the name, that uh, yes. you have a very specific devotion to the Sacred Heart. Now, right. I'm, I'm personally a convert. I came into the faith uh, in 2011. And so there were a lot of these uh, these titles or these devotions uh, or specific um, uh, saints that I had heard of, but didn't, mm-hmm. didn't really fully understand the devotion behind it. You know, we've all seen the picture of the Sacred Heart, but what, is, right. what does a devotion to the Sacred Heart look like in specific? And then also, more specifically, what does it look like in your community? Okay. Um, well, the, de- the devotion to the Sacred Heart has, has gone back a long ways in the Church, um, in the history of the Church. And certainly, um, it goes all the way back to, scripturally speaking, when um, on the cross, when Jesus, when his heart was pierced on the cross, and from his heart flowed blood and water, and at, at that time, certainly that the significance of that, the meaning of that is just his total self, his love completely pouring out for each one of us and flowing into our lives, and that, you know, he gave his life completely for us. So for the devotion to the Sacred Heart, it's um, remembering that and looking on him whom they have pierced, which is actually a, the spirituality of our community, which comes from the Gospel of John as well as um, Zechariah. And so 
as we look upon Christ crucified and we receive his love that's poured out for us from the cross, we receive that love and then we then go out in turn and share that love with with others. Um, so that sacred heart, so when you look at the image of the sacred heart, it is, it's on fire. It has fire, which is, you know, a symbol of, of the love of Christ being, being on fire for us and, and his love being so warm and so, um, so complete. And then um, in the sacred heart image, there's also the, the crown of thorns, again, a symbol of his um, love for us on the cross. And then the pierced side and then the blood flowing out from his pierced side. So that, um, that's where that the image comes from. And um, so scripture says, from his breast shall flow fountains of living water. And then he was speaking of the spirit, which for those who believe in him were to receive. And that began to flow as living water when the side of Christ, the crucified one, um, was pierced. And so as we give our lives to Christ and grow in our love for him, that's a beautiful image to look upon and, and to remember and um, and for our community, that, that is particularly lived out, and um, we want to be open to receive that love which Jesus gives us and wants to give to the world in the Holy Spirit. And so we respond to him by the life that we live and look upon him, and as we receive his love, we share that love with all whom we come in contact with and um, in our union with Christ and in our, you know, our, our life with him. We then, um, and being consecrated to him, we then um, are able to go out and, and bring his love and his salvation to the world mm-hmm. through our ministry. Does this devotion play out uh, in um, specific prayers or specific uh, practices or holy hours, or, or is it uh, really a, a, a whole person endeavor? Well, I would say it is a whole person endeavor, definitely. It's like we, um, through our devotion and our, our, our personal prayer and our, and our living that out, that is that's important. But we also do have particular prayers that we pray. Um, and we, so we, every year we renew our consecration to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And we also pray the prayers um, daily for the apostleship of prayer, which um, involves the, the consecration to the sixth heart of Jesus and, and our promise to live that out. Also, St. Saint, Saint Margaret Mary, um, who actually I'm named after St. Margaret Mary, she is one of the ones who promoted that this devotion to the sacred heart because she hadn't, had seen the Christ. He, he appeared to her and showed her this image of, of the sacred heart and spoke to her about the importance of of families and people actually um, having this image in their home. And, and there are actually promises that he gives to those who have the image in their homes. And so for us in our, in all of our um, contents, we, we have, you know, images, pictures of the sacred heart and, um, and then the, you know, those, those prayers, like I was seeing first the apostleship of prayer and um, yes, adoration of, you know, we we do have daily daily prayers that we pray together communally, and we um, pray personal prayers as well, and spend time before the Blessed Sacrament to receive that that love that Christ desires to give us. There's a a, a passage in Scripture that says the the love of Christ compels us. Yes, uh, and talking about how we don't we're not just recipients of of God's love. 
But we are, by being recipients, we are then deputized to go out and to, uh, to be an, an emissary of that love uh, to the world that's around us. And as we contemplate on the sacred heart, uh, we start to do foolish things, foolish things like caring for the poor above uh, our, our own desires and, and caring for the needs of, of the world and our broader community uh, rather than our own selfishness. And the world would call us bleeding hearts as we have been meditating and contemplating his bleeding heart, his sacred heart, mm-hmm. and, and are yeah. made into that image uh, and then are compelled to go out and, and serve as he served. Right. Yes. That, that's one of my favorite scriptures, the love of Christ compels us, because it's true. You know, if, if he, the more we love him, the more we spend time with him, the more, you know, that we certainly, as we receive that, where we are, we're compelled to, to go out and share that love with others through our words, through our actions, through the life that we live. So. Now, your charism, as we've said before, is to make the merciful love of Christ visible. Tell us, if you can, uh, a story of, of a student who, being a recipient of that love through your charism, has then been empowered to go out and make a difference in the community as they've grown and, and gone into the community. Okay. Well, I do know that um, for being at St. Catherine since our sisters have been here so long and, and for myself having been here before and then returning again, um, you know, it, it's, I, I know that, that many, you know, students who have graduated from St. Catherine come back um, and visit the school um, or if they, sometimes they move on and they go, they go to college and then their families are still here and they'll, they'll come back and they, they often, you know, are really excited to, to see us, to see the sisters and come back and see that the other teachers in the school. And they really often just speak, speak well of their experiences and they're just positively in terms of their, um, you know, that they learned a lot and that they often are um, living their, their faith now, you know, in the world, um, in, in various ways. And I know that some of our sisters, we do have a few sisters who, um, not from Tulsa, but some sisters in the community who have, um, been taught by our sisters when they were younger or who have had communication with the sisters when they were younger. And they really, um, felt drawn to, to, um, you know, carry on the vocation as a religious sister. And, and so it's exciting to see them, um, continue that in our community. Yeah. Um, having been influenced by the sisters and, you know, in their lives when they were younger. We're talking today with Sister Margaret Gibbons, a sister of St. Francis of the Martyr St. George, who teaches at St. Catherine School in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where she and her her fellow sisters have been nominated for the Lumen Christi Award from Catholic Extension. Find out more information about them over at altonfranciscans.org. There's more to this conversation with Sister Margaret available to those Patreon supporters. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link to get access to that segment and many more. Join us over on social media, Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls. On Twitter, the handle is at OutsideTheWalls. I'd love to see you there. There's more to come right after this as we dive into scripture and church history. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Today we've been talking with uh, with Sister Margaret Gibbons of the Sisters of St. Francis of the Martyr St. George. She and her fellow sisters teach at St. Catherine School in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they have been nominated for the Lumen Christi Award from Catholic Extension. Find out more information about them at altonfranciscans.org or find out about the other Lumen Christi nominees by going to catholicextension.org. There's more to that conversation with Sister Margaret, available to those who support the show through Patreon. If you go to outsidethewalls.com, click the Patreon link, you can get access to that extra segment as well as all the other extra segments we have produced. And if you missed any part of the show or you want to share the show with your friends, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived right there at OutsideTheWalls.com. Today is the Feast of Michaelmas, the the Feast of the Archangels, St. Gabriel, St. Michael, and St. Raphael. And uh, as I think about angels and I think about the fact that they are messengers of God, that's their whole role, uh, I think of, again, the charism that that Sister Margaret told us about for her order, to make the merciful love of Christ visible. That's the purpose of the angels, to bring that, that announcement of, of who God is and God's character and bringing God's message to us, to make the merciful love of Christ visible. That's the whole reason that Christ was here, to, to reveal to us the love of God. And that can happen in mundane ways, or it can happen in, in great drama. Uh, I think of something that happened at my church this last week. We just started this new endeavor that uh, that ties our religious education up with adults and children learning together. But part of that is that there was exposition of the Blessed Sacrament during that whole thing. And so I was running around like a like a chicken with my head cut off, trying to make sure that everything got done. And at the end of the day, um, I walked into the room with uh, over 100 other people at benediction, and all the lights were off. And just the candles were lit and there was this sense of drama that Christ was in our midst. And of course, Christ is in our midst at every mass, right? He's, he is there. And yet there was something about the way that it was presented in this specific instance. And maybe partially because of how, uh, how worn out I was from all of the mundane things that had to be done, that it struck me very profoundly to see this majesty with the incense and with all of the candles and with the monstrance lit just so that I was able to stop and to hear the announcement that God was in my midst. I was right there in holy ground. And I I think of that as I look at our reading from Scripture today out of the book of Daniel, chapter 7. And Daniel has this vision, and he says, As I watched, thrones were set up. And the Ancient One took his throne. His clothing was bright as snow, and the hair on his head was as white as wool. His throne was flames of fire, with wheels of burning fire. A surging stream of fire flowed out from where he sat. Thousands upon thousands were ministering to him, and myriads upon myriads attended him. The court was convened, and the books were opened. As the visions during the night continued, I saw one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. And when he reached the ancient one and was presented before him, he received dominion, glory, and kingship. Nations and peoples of every language serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not be taken away, and his kingship shall not be destroyed. 
That reading comes from the book of Daniel and what drama there is in that. And, and sometimes we just, we, we just wish, oh God, could we just not see you in that kind of drama? Do we have to be stuck in these mundane actions of our daily life? Can't, we, can't you just reveal that to us? And of course, he already has. He has here in Scripture. And he calls us to the mundane because this is what's going on in the heavenlies as we walk out obedience. And we hear that a little bit more from this second reading. Uh, from a letter written to all the faithful, and includes you and I, by St. Francis of Assisi. It was through his archangel, St. Gabriel, that the Father above made known to the holy and glorious Virgin Mary that the worthy, holy, and glorious word of the Father would come from heaven and take from her womb the real flesh of our human frailty. Though he was wealthy beyond reckoning, he still willingly chose to be poor with his blessed mother. And shortly before his passion, he celebrated the Passover with his disciples. Then he prayed to his father, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup be taken from me. Nevertheless, he reposed his will in the will of the father. The father willed that his blessed and glorious son, whom he gave to us all and who is born for us, should through his own blood offer himself as a sacrificial victim on the altar of the cross. This was to be done not for himself, through whom all things were made, but for our sins. It was intended to leave us an example of how to follow in his footsteps, and he desires all of us to be saved through him and to receive him with pure heart and chaste body. Oh, how happy and blessed are those who, who love the Lord, and do as the Lord himself said in the gospel, you shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart and your whole soul and your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, let us love God and adore him with pure heart and mind. This is his particular desire when he says true worshipers adore the Father in spirit and truth. For all who adore him must do so in the spirit of truth. Let us also direct to him our praises and prayers, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, since we must always pray and never grow slack. Furthermore, let us produce worthy fruits of penance. Let us also love our neighbors as ourselves. Let us have charity and humility. Let us give alms, because these cleanse our souls from the stains of sin. Men lose all material things they leave behind them in this world but they carry with them the reward of their charity and the alms they give. For these they will receive from the Lord the reward and recompense they deserve. We must not be wise and prudent according to the flesh. Rather, we must be simple, humble, and pure. We should never desire to be over others. Instead, we ought to be servants who are submissive to every human being for God's sake. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on all who live in this way and persevere in it to the end. He will permanently dwell in them. They will be the Father's children who do His work. They are the spouses, brothers, and mothers of our Lord, Jesus Christ. That reading comes from a letter to all the faithful by St. Francis of Assisi. And in this reading, we get the sense of the mundane aspects of life, 
of being the servant, of giving alms to the poor, of making the merciful love of Christ visible in every way possible to us. And the saints had this uncanny ability, and St. Francis, of course, uh, had it in spades, of being able to see through that mundane life, to see through the, the humility of, of a life of a servant, and to see the inherent drama behind it. For St. Francis, there was no distinction between that reading that we heard of God's majesty and glory uh, sitting on a throne of fire, uh, served by myriads upon myriads, and him serving the poorest of the poor and living in a cave. There was no distinction for him between the glory of one and the glory of the other because he was able to see with the eyes of faith what this mundane life of service, of giving oneself for others, what it was actually accomplishing. Oh, that you and I would be able to have the eyes of faith that St. Francis had, that he could see the immense and immeasurable glory of God in service, that he could see the drama of salvation occurring through these little acts of obedience that he was going through. That's my prayer for you and I today, is that uh, that we would get a sense of the drama of salvation that wasn't just completed on the cross, but that is continuing to be completed on the cross right now, that is continuing to have effects all around us, that we are still living in the midst of that drama, that unfolding drama of salvation that was accomplished by Christ on the cross, but that you and I participate in through our prayers and through our acts of service. So I encourage you this week, spend some time in prayer, and specifically in that prayer, ask for those eyes to see. If you have the opportunity, if there's an adoration chapel nearby, go and spend some time with Christ there in the Eucharist on the altar. This same Christ who was the Word of God by which all things were created, this Christ who took on human flesh and human frailty in the womb of Mary, this same Christ has offered himself to us completely as our spiritual nourishment through the Eucharist. So go, go and find an adoration chapel and sit there in front of him. Maybe pray a rosary, maybe just sit in silence, maybe read a little bit out of scripture and wait like Daniel waited. Wait for the revelation that God will give you. Wait for that picture of the cosmic drama that currently is unfolding in your life and in the lives of those around you. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Rodney Moxley and all those who support the show through Patreon. Patreon supporters get extra segments with all of our guests. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link and join their numbers. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle's at outside the walls. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.